is an Odyssey original. This is the War in Ukraine Daily. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Today, Russia warning it may retaliate for increased U.S. military aid to Ukraine, and officials confirming Ukrainian missiles sank that Russian warship, and Ukrainians living in the eastern part of the country bracing for that major Russian offensive. We start with what Russia is saying after suffering a major blow. The flagship of the country's Black Sea fleet sunk, and now we know a Ukrainian missile attack is what did it. Russia says it'll answer with more attacks on Kyiv, warning the U.S. of unpredictable consequences as well for the military aid. Jeff McCausland, military consultant for CBS News. I spoke to him along with Rob Archer. Uh, Jeff, is Russia really planning on doing anything to the U.S., or is this a bluff? Well, I think it's mostly the latter, this threat to, quote-unquote, unpredictable consequences. It should not be surprising. You know, it's a clear attempt to try to intimidate us, I think, to some degree, by the reference right now, to mask just how poorly the war is going. But could the Russians do some things? And the answer to that question is obviously yes. They could escalate vertically. They could use chemical weapons, biological weapons, or even the possibility of using tactical nuclear weapons, particularly in the part and parcel of this upcoming offensive. And the CIA director even mentioned that was a worry that he had, even though he went on to say there was no real clear evidence that they were preparing to do so. They could, they could escalate horizontally. They could just start doing cyber attacks against us here in the United States, frankly, or against some of our NATO partners. Or, again, they could do so vertically by trying to interrupt those supply columns by making actually more airstrikes in the eastern portion of the Ukraine, right there along the Polish border. But that being said, I still think this is not only a bluster, but it's certainly hypocritical for them to threaten us to assist while we're assisting Ukraine, who is defending itself. And oh, by the way, self-defense is is enshrined in the NATO or in the United Nations Charter as the right of every sovereign country as Russia conducts this aggressive, illegal, and unnecessary war and as the evidence of mounting war crimes continues to climb. Where are we on the repositioning in this uh, upcoming battle for, for the eastern part of the country, which some had thought was you know, a matter of days away earlier this week, but Russia is still moving its, its troops around. And, and the, as the clock ticks, right, every moment that this doesn't happen is good for Ukraine because it means, it means more weapons from us getting over there. That's right. On the Ukrainian side, of course, this is a race to the clock. And, of course, the Biden administration now has, has announced $800 million additional military assistance to include some Hind helicopters, which were destined originally for Afghanistan, some 155-millimeter howitzers, ammunition, uh, counter-battery radars, and a bunch of other things. Supposedly those can be delivered in a matter of days. Uh, they may take some time, particularly on the howitzers, to train Ukrainian crews. This is a weapon system they may not be familiar with, and other supplies arriving uh, from Western countries. On the Russian side, of course, they pulled their forces out of the northern portion of Ukraine, went back into Belarus and Russia, apparently trying to refit, rearm, re-equip those particular units. In some cases, were pretty badly mauled, and then moved them around to prepare for this particular offensive. And I think it's pretty problematical how well they can do that because of the level of casualties they have taken. Some would suggest perhaps as high as 20% casualties. And secondly, because we know their resupply network have been woefully inadequate uh, at the beginning of this war, so they've got to pick that up in a market fashion if this offensive is going to happen soon and going to happen effectively. 
I want to go back to something that you briefly touched on a minute ago about uh, the increasing evidence of war crimes. And, of course, more civilian bodies are, are being found and uh, more evidence that Russian troops uh, rounded up people, uh, shot them in the back of the head. Uh, some of this not confirmed. Uh, others, we have photographic evidence of it. So as we get more evidence of war crimes, at what point do you think that NATO nations could say, you know what, now is the time to ramp up our response, including putting ourselves in the line of fire and, and perhaps sparking another major European war because the evidence of war crimes gets so bad. Do you think that we will get to that point, or is that just not something that's in the cards? I think it's going to be very difficult for that to happen over the issue of war crimes, as sad as that might be to say simply because once you become engaged directly with the Russians as NATO and any NATO partner brings in all of NATO or the United States, of course, then you risk the possibility of escalation in that confrontation. And that brings on the possibility of the consideration of using nuclear weapons on either side, something obviously we want to clearly avoid. That being said, I think the drumbeat about the, uh, war crimes and showing clear evidence and talking about this more and more puts more and more pressure on the Russians politically, but it also puts pressure on the other countries around the world. You know, what we want to do is deepen the sanctions as well as broaden the sanctions. And sanctions are only as good as the weakest link. So I'm talking about countries like India, who prides itself in being the world's largest democracy, but is kind of set on the fence. Certainly the Chinese, who don't like being associated with a country that's committing massive war crimes. And that's where I think, in many ways, uh, talking about the war crimes, at least in the near term, may have greater effect. CBS News military consultant Jeff McCausland. Jeff, thanks. We'll have a short break and then coming up, what is life like in eastern Ukraine as the region braces for more violence from Russia? It could be any day now. We expect Russia to begin this new military offensive focused on eastern Ukraine. The governor of the country's Kharkiv region says seven people, including a baby, died after Russia attacked a residential neighborhood. Oleksandra lives in Kharkiv, Ukraine's second largest city, with her husband, a mother-in-law, and a cat. Oleksandra, we spoke to you about a month ago. What is life like right now? Uh, thank you for the invitation. I'm glad to be here again. Uh, now, life in Kharkiv is still complicated and can be absolutely safe. Uh, the city and its outskirts are shelled by Russian troops every day, and some districts are more dangerous than others. Uh, for example, the northern parts and eastern parts of the city, uh, there are some problems with supplies, plumbing, and electricity in these areas. They are damaged, uh, but... Uh, there are a lot of damaged dormitories, but a lot of people are staying still here because they have nowhere to go and they don't want to uh, go from their homes and uh, they stay here and just uh, live hiding in the basements and cooking on an open fire. And uh, it's uh, kind of horrifying, but uh, some districts uh, of the city are kind of calm, for example, the neighborhood I'm living in, and uh, people uh, get used to, to the circumstances we have, and uh, we are trying to return to normal life as much as possible. Uh, uh, public transport is still out of service in the city, but a lot of small businesses try to return to work because uh, people need money and uh, the city needs some service that they can provide. And uh, the good news, uh, it's spring in the city and um, 
the temperature is getting high and uh, it becomes warmer and uh, flowering nature brings us hopes and encourages uh, to fight. Um, this is expected to be a major increase in fighting soon in, in that portion of Ukraine. What are you doing and what can you do to get ready for that? Uh, it is a difficult question, maybe a hope for better and uh, try to stay safe, uh, be aware of some air aids, because uh, as I've said, we used to this people uh, not staying during the day uh, in the basements or some safe places, and this can be fatal for them. Unfortunately, some people died today because uh, they were outside during the shelling, and uh, uh, our governor tells us to stay inside, stay in safe places when we hear uh, the air aid and uh, try to stay in safe places uh, as, as it possible. Has there been any thought about trying to leave when we realize it's a question that we understand all the complexities are easier said than done, right? Uh, if you tried, are you even sure you could? Maybe it's safer, at least in your part of town, in your neighborhood, to stay? Uh it's a difficult question, and every person uh, needs to uh, understand it, his or her own possibilities and opportunities. So some people leave the city, maybe a third part of uh, all people living in Kharkiv. Uh, a lot of people gone. Uh, I know that uh, more than uh, 5 million people, almost 5 million people left Ukraine. It's w women and children. Uh, and uh, uh, more than 10 million people uh, around Ukraine uh, had to left, leave their homes uh, to find uh, some safer places to stay. Uh, as I think for me and for my family, uh, we have... Um, a good opportunity to stay safe in our home. We have a, a good cellar to stay in uh, when there are planes, but uh, likely we didn't have uh, some uh, shellings uh, in our neighborhood for the last time, for the last maybe two, three weeks. So it's rather safe. Uh, a lot of uh, cities in the west west of Ukraine are overloaded by people. Uh, they were not ready for this and uh, there are problems with housing and I understand that uh, uh, some people maybe uh, who have kids or uh, some uh, elder people to care for they need this more than I and my family and uh, I important for them to go and find some safer place than me. Oleksandra there lives in Kharkiv with her husband, uh, mother-in-law. They've got the cat. Uh, Oleksandra, thank you again for speaking with us. We hope you stay safe and, and we wish you the very best. Tonight is the first night of the Jewish holiday of Passover. Takes on special meeting for Ukrainian Jews this year. Holiday celebrates the biblical exodus of Jews from slavery in Egypt, something Ukrainians can relate to right now. A number of Jewish organizations hoping to provide a sense of relief and community by giving refugees a place to celebrate with a traditional Seder meal in neighboring countries. This is an Odyssey original. Find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher.